Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Well, we're going to continue our series today, and I haven't been back here since uh, Father's Day. I think that's the last time I spoke, and it's really good to be back here at Christ Church. I've been speaking in different places, but it's always good to come home, open up the Word of God to all of you. Well, our passage has been read to us in a great way. Robbie did a great job reading the Word of God, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. The title of our sermon is called, Hope for the Bruised. But before we get into our passage, I just want to remind you that there are students out there, and they're going to be selling tickets, and if you uh, buy a lunch today at the cafe, you get a free cookie, all right? They wanted me to let you know that. It's a Romeo and Juliet free cookie if you buy a ticket, all right? And if you have a lunch. Well, with that being said, let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I just ask you right now that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin. You'd forgive me and cleanse me and fill me with your spirit. And Lord Jesus, you would speak through me to your people. And we as your people, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For, Lord, we ask these things together. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. 750 years before Christ ever showed up on the scene, the prophet Isaiah absolutely prophetically proclaimed who Jesus was going to be. God revealed to Isaiah who Jesus was going to be. In those first four verses that we read, that's a description of Jesus. In verse 1, it says this, here is my servant. Here is my servant. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls himself a servant, not only here in this passage, but in many passages throughout the New Testament. So the prophecy of Isaiah was dead on. Jesus Christ came to be a servant. But God not only revealed to Isaiah who Jesus was going to be, but what kinds of people he had come to serve and to ultimately save. And those folks are found in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. At first glance, all you see is a reed and you see a wick. You don't see people. But as we look at this verse together, as we look at this through the eyes and the minds of the Jewish people in Isaiah's day, and then we define the words describing the reed and the wick, we're going to discover the people that Jesus Christ came to serve and to save. So let's get started. In verse 3 it says again, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. When the people in Isaiah's day would have heard those words, common pictures would have popped up in their minds. Two pictures, a picture of a bruised reed 
and a smoldering, snuffed-out wick. And those pictures would have been common. Everyone, most everyone, would have thought of the same thing. Let me give you a modern-day illustration of what I'm talking about. I'm going to say a word, and when I say this word, certain pictures, certain words, certain images are going to pop up in your mind. And they're all going to be common. We're all going to be thinking the same thing. You ready? Certain pictures, certain words, certain images. The word is Nike. When I said the word Nike, what image, what words pop up in your mind? How many of you thought of the swoosh? Raise your hands, please. Raise them up. Oh, yeah, many of you. How many of you thought of the words just do it? Raise your hands. Number of you. How many of you thought of the image of Michael Jordan? How many of you? Okay, quite a few of you. Most of you in this room, we all had the common pictures. We all were thinking the same thing. Just as that's true today, it was then it was true. When they would have heard the words bruised reed and smoldering snuffed out wicks, here's the pictures that would have popped up in their mind. Let's look, first of all, at the bruised reed. In those days, it was common to see young boys watching their father's sheep along the hillsides. And as they watched, it was boring to watch sheep. So what they would do is they'd go down by the Jordan River, they'd cut themselves down a reed, they'd hollow it out, they'd put little holes in it, and they'd play it like a flute. They'd play music as they watched the sheep. But they had to be careful because if they bruised the reed, if they broke it or bent it, it didn't play music any longer. So what did the shepherd boys do with a bruised reed? They took that bruised reed and they threw it away. Because down by the Jordan River, there were hundreds of thousands of new ones. So they took the bruised reed and they threw it away and they'd go down and get themselves a new one. The second picture is the picture of a smoldering, snuffed out wick. In those days, they didn't lit their homes with electricity like we do. They lit their homes with small saucers, oil, like lamps. And it looked like a saucer, and they put oil in the, in the saucer, and then you put a cotton wick on top, and that's how they lit the home. Let me ask the men in this room. Why is it that we have been delegated the responsibility of taking out the garbage? Huh? How many of you in this room, men, have the responsibility of taking out the garbage in your house? Raise your hands. Come on, get them up high. Be proud of that. Okay, there you are. In the days of Isaiah, in the days of Christ, it was the woman's responsibility to make sure that the oil stayed in those saucers so their homes were lit. So here you have a woman walking into a dark room. It's dark. She goes over to that little saucer, the, all the oil's been used up, and the wick is smoldering or snuffed out on the bottom of that saucer. She takes that smoldering, snuffed out wick. Does she try to save it? No. She try to reuse it? No. She throws it away because she has hundreds of other cotton wicks. So she fills that saucer up back with oil, takes a new cotton wick, puts it on top, and relights her home. In both incidents, both situations, they take the bruised reed and the smoldering snuffed out wicks and they throw them away because they have hundreds, in some cases thousands of new ones. And they get themselves a new one. With those pictures in mind, now let's look at the words describing these reed, this reed and the wick. And those words are this, bruised, smoldering, and snuffed out bruised, smoldering, and snuffed out. Let's look first of all at the word bruised. The word bruised literally means coming apart at the seams, discouraged, loss of hope. What Isaiah is describing here is a group of people or a person who's been bounced around in the world and has been wounded, bruised deeply. They could have been bruised or wounded physically, mentally, emotionally, 
sexually, spiritually, or all the above. And what Isaiah is saying is that this group of people or this person who's been bounced around has been wounded deeply. They are, they are a people or a group of people who have been taken advantage of. They've been treated unfairly. They've been oppressed. They've been marginalized in some way. And because they've been marginalized and oppressed in some way, they've lost hope. And they've become discouraged. And their lives are falling apart at the seams. And what does the world do with those who are bruised, those who are the bruised reeds? They throw them away, and they get themselves a new one. The second word is the word smoldering. The word smoldering is, is literally talking about a flame that is dying. It's where we get our English word. This word in our passage, smoldering, is where we get our English word burnout from. What Isaiah is describing is a group of people or a person who once was filled with tremendous enthusiasm, passion. They had vision and dreams. They were ready to take on the world. But then something happened to them. And they lost their vision. They lost their passion. They just kind of go through life. Just go through the motions. If they could, they would just give up. They were a person or group of people who had great promise. When they walked in the room, they lit up a room. But now when they walk in the room, they just fill the room with smoke. They're burned out. And what does the world do with those who are burned out? They throw them away. And they get themselves a new one. Then it concludes by describing the wick with, with two words. Those two words are snuffed out. Snuffed out. What that word, what those two words literally mean is describing a flame that has failed. The wick was supposed to light the room, but it failed. What Isaiah is describing is a group of people or a person who have blown it. They blew it. Now, you might not have ever experienced someone, you've never been bruised, you've never been burned out, but I'll guarantee you all of us in this room have this in common. We've all blown it. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. It falls short of the glory of God. We're all in this boat together. We've all blown it. And what does the world do with those who have failed, who have blown it? They throw them away. And they get themselves a new one. But I got good news for you today. The world might take those who are burned out, those who are bruised, and those who have blown it and thrown them away. But Jesus came to serve and to save those who are bruised, those who are burned out, and those who have blown it. He came to save. He came to redeem. He came to heal. Hope, bring hope and healing to those who were the ones who were thrown away. And he came to collect them. He came to bring life to them. He came to redeem them, restore them, transform them. He came to bring help, hope, and healing to the bruised reed and the smoldering, snuffed-out wick. He did not come to throw you away. He came to save you, to serve you. And he's here today. He's in this room. And with many of you, he dwells within you. And I would love to take all the, those people and those groups of people and, uh, and apply my application to all of you. But because of time, I can only apply to one. So I've chosen the bruised. 
We're going to be looking at the bruise, and we're going to hopefully give you hope for those of you that have been bruised. You know, have you ever been bruised? <laughs> I have, many times by many people. And I'm going to give you one example out of my life, and my prayer is that as I give you this example, it will give you hope, even though you've been bruised. My mother and father got divorced when I was three years old, and my mother remarried, and she remarried a really good man. A man who took my older two sisters and myself in as his own. But there was a problem. He was an atheist and he, never, he didn't believe in God. So he never went to church and I had no clue who Jesus Christ was. All the way through high school and into college. And finally in college, there was a young lady who was faithful to communicate who Jesus was and what he had done for me. But I didn't receive Christ in college. But I did receive Christ on June 9, 1979, trying out with the Pittsburgh Pirates at Three Rivers Stadium at second base. I gave my life to Jesus Christ there. I went home and told my family about my relationship with Jesus Christ, and it didn't go well, especially with my atheistic father. And then two years later, I came into the house and I told everybody that I believed that God called me into full-time ministry, and then the lid on the, popcorn, on the popcorn machine came off. I mean, it got really crazy. Got crazy with everybody in my family, but especially with my atheistic father. But I persevered, and I went off to seminary, and then two years into my study, I had to do an internship, so I came back home to my hometown, a little town called, believe it or not, Ripley, New York. Okay. So anyway, there I was in my hometown, and I was doing the internship, and the internship came to an end, and the summer was over, and I was driving home, getting ready to go back to the seminary. And as I was driving up into the driveway, my father and two of his buddies were out on the a, a picnic table in the backyard. They'd been playing golf all day and drinking. I got out of the car, and I walked over, and they said, come on over, Ed. And I came over, and I sat down on the picnic table. And then in five minutes of my conversation with them, my father began to tell his two buddies everything I had ever told him in private. Everything I had ever told him in confidence, he began to tell everything to these two guys. Have you ever been betrayed? I'm asking a question. Have you ever been betrayed? It hurts deeply. It bruises your soul when you've been betrayed. Now, I don't know why I sat there, but I sat there an hour. I guess I was in shock. I couldn't believe what was going on. Finally, one of the buddies of his, my dad, looked at me and said, Ed, I can't believe, after all the things that your father just told us, that you would think that you would want to be a pastor. And when he said that, it was like it jump-started me. It's like I came to, and I came back to reality. And I knew that there's no way I was going to explain all this to these guys. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't understand God's grace. So I just kindly excused myself and started walking back to the home, back to the house. And then my father and his two buddies had a good time at my expense. They began to say horrific and sarcastic things about me as I walked back into my home. When I got into the house, my mother and my oldest sister were there at the kitchen table, tears rolling down their eyes, and they looked at me and said, Ed, forgive us that we didn't have the courage to come out and stick up for you and forgive your father, he's been drinking. I said, it's okay. And I walked through the kitchen and I walked into the living room and I sat down on the couch. And as I sat there on the couch, I began to think about what just happened. And as I thought about it, my blood began to boil. And I mean really boil. I became angry and I felt rage inside of me. And then I began to pray and wrestle with the Lord. I began to say to the Lord, Lord, I didn't deserve that. I didn't do anything wrong. 
That man had no right doing that. And I'm going to claim my rights and I'm going to go out there and I want to hurt that man. And I'm wrestling with the Lord. And this is what the Lord said to me in my mind. He said, Ed, you know, I was innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. And I died on the cross for you. And I've forgiven you. Now forgive as I've forgiven you. Forgive your father. And my response was, I can't. And God quickly spoke to me and said, you're right, you can't. But I can. I can take that pain and that anger from you and I can retake it from you and I can replace it with my love, my forgiveness, my peace, and my contentment. I can give that to you. Just surrender it and turn it over to me. And I said, I can't. At the moment I said that, my father walks in and my mother into the living room. They didn't say anything to me. They just passed by, went upstairs and went to bed. I moved from the couch to the, to the floor. And I'm laying on the floor and I'm wrestling with God. Because I want to go upstairs and I want to pull him out of the bed. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm wrestling with God. And then God gave me this verse. He gave me this verse. It says, what you sow, you will reap. Say that with me. What you sow, say it. What you sow, you will reap. And God began to say to me, Ed, you hang on to that pain. You hang on to that anger. You hang on to that rage. You will sow what you reap. And he took me back to a time that my father and I, we had a piece of land and we began to, to plant, to sow tomato seeds. We really did. And what did we reap? Tomatoes. And then he took my mind and helped me to see if you plant anger, if you sow anger, you're going to reap anger. You sow hatred, you're going to reap hatred. You sow unforgiveness, you're going to reap unforgiveness. But if you sow forgiveness, you're going to reap forgiveness. You sow my love and you're going to reap my love. And my love covers a multitude of sin. And I can take that from you. I can take that from you and I can replace my love, my forgiveness, my compassion, my peace into your life. And I said, no. And I continued to struggle and I continued to wrestle with God. And then he gave me this verse. He took me into the Old Testament. He began to share with me a truth in the scriptures. And it says this, that the father's sin can be passed on from generation to generation. The father's sin can be passed on from generation to generation. Or you can do it not your way and do it God's way. And, your, and God can bless you and bless your household for generations upon generations. It's your choice, Ed. What do you want to decide? Because what's at stake right now? now isn't just your relationship with your father what's at stake is your relationship with everybody after that your wife your children your grandchildren that's what's at stake it doesn't just stay with your relationship with your father it spills over into generations it will carry on to other relationships and you'll carry on that unforgiveness that anger that bitterness that disappointment and you'll carry it into those relationships so ed it's your decision what are you going to decide and man, I cried out to God. I said, God, take it from me. I don't want to become what I hated. God, set me free. And I turned it over. I tell you the truth. The moment I began to turn that over to the Lord, all of a sudden I began to see my father in a totally different light. I didn't see him as my enemy. I saw a person who was bound by the enemy. 
He was lost. He didn't know Jesus Christ. And I began to think about, why would I expect him to do anything else other than what he did? And as I began to pray, God's love began to, came over me. I began to pray for God's forgiveness. I began to pray for my father that he would come to know Jesus Christ. I stopped claiming my rights, and I began to look at my responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I began to look to my witness, and I began to pray for my dad. And I am telling you, God's love, God's peace, God's contentment came over me, and I went to bed. When I got up in the morning, I packed up my clothes, and I went out, and I put them in the car, and there in the driveway was my mother, my brother, and my father. I walked up, and I hugged all three of them. I came up to my dad and hugged him last, and I told him that I loved him, and he stood there cold, stone cold, like ice. Never said a thing to me. I got in the car, drove away, went back to the seminary. Now it's Thanksgiving. We had break. I drove all night, came back home. Everybody was sleeping, ran upstairs, went to bed. Next morning, on my bedroom door, I hear a knock. I open up the door. There's my stepfather standing there, and he said, Ed, would you like to go Christmas shopping? That's the first word I've heard out of him. Now, that sounds weird, but in my household during Thanksgiving, we went Christmas shopping. So I said, sure, let's go. I got dressed, got in the car. We're driving to the mall. My father looks at me and says, Ed, I got something to say to you. I said, what's that? He said, I believe in God. I said, what? He said, I believe in God. I said, why? He said, because that night, and you know the night I'm talking about, I did everything I could to provoke you. I tried to do everything to bring back the old Ed Glover. The Ed Glover that would have jumped over that picnic table and tried to knock me out. I tried to bring him back, but instead of jumping over a table and knocking me out, you put your arms around me and you tell me that you love me? The only one that could ever change you like that, there has to be a God. Has to be a God. Then I looked at my father and I said, Dad, there's not only God, but there's Jesus Christ. And my father looked at me and said, Ed, I'm just trying to deal with the fact that there's a God. Man, I, I can't deal with Jesus right now. I said, okay, okay. We had a great Thanksgiving. We had a great Christmas. I went back to seminary. It was in January. I get a phone call from my sister. Back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We had to go out into the hall because we were in a dorm and pick up the phone. So I picked up the phone. My sister, Debbie, said, Ed, you got to get home. Dad had a stroke. We don't know if he's going to live. But Ed, you've got to get home as fast as you can because only thing he says over and over again is where is Ed? Where is Ed? I told my sister, I said, I'll be there. I'll catch a plane. I hung up. There was a chair sitting right by the phone. I sat in that chair and I tell you the truth. The peace of God fell over me. Unbelievable. The peace of God, the presence of God. And I went back to the time I was sitting at the couch and I was claiming my rights, wanting to retaliate. And I was praising God because I knew I was sitting in this peace in the presence of God because I didn't do it my way, I did it God's way. And I was thanking God. But then I began to think, 
Wonder if I would have done it my way. Wonder if I would have retaliated. Wonder if I went out and said things and did things to my father. What would be going on right now as I sat in this chair? Oh, well, let me tell you what would, have gone on, what would have went on. Satan would have taken everything that I'd ever said and did like a stick, and he would have beat me with it. He would have said, Ed, you're in the ministry. You're going to be a pastor, and you hate your father. You had an opportunity to be a witness to him. You had an opportunity to show him the love of God. You had an opportunity to forgive that man, and now he's in a hospital, and he's going to die, and his blood's on your head. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a pastor. He would have beat me with that stick, but he didn't have a stick. He didn't have a stick. And I sat there and I began to praise God. I got on a plane. I flew home. I got to the hospital. I walked into that room. My father's laying there with all these wires connected to his body. I walked in. He saw me. He called me over. And I went over and he grabbed me by the shirt. He pulled me up real close to his face and he said this. He said, Ed, I love you. And I looked at my father and I said, I love you. And so does Jesus Christ. My dad lived another 10 years. He was paralyzed on the right side of his body. But I want you to know, every time I ever called him, every time we ever met face to face, every time we separated, we would tell one another that we loved one another. One day I finally had the courage to ask him, how come you never said that you loved me until that moment? He looked right at me and he said, because my father never told me that he loved me. And I went right back to the day I was on that couch and the Lord said, the sins of your father will be passed on from generation to generation. Look right here. On that day that I forgave my father, I broke that curse. And today in my household, in my household, I've been able to pass love and forgiveness and compassion to my family. Now they have to make their decisions, how they're going to live and how they're going to live their lives. But I pass that to them. I know that there are people out here today and you've had horrible things happen to you. People have, things, people have done things and said things to you and hurt you deeply. But I'm telling you that today, there's a God in this room who wants to bring help, hope, and healing to you today. But you've got to surrender. You've got to be honest. You've got to turn that over. Now, I'm not saying to those of you that have been physically abused or sexually abused or anything, that you go back and build a relationship with that person. That's not what God is asking. He's asking that you forgive that person, that you set yourself free, that you do not become a victim of what that other person's sin tried to do to you. You let it go. You forgive. You ask God to help you. Ask him to heal you, to deliver you, to restore you. He can do that in this room. In the first service that we had, we had so many people come forward and they were set free. Let me say this. That's what the God we serve. He can set you free. But you've got to come to a place right now in your life where you're going to say, God, I don't want to live like this. 
You know, when you, when you hold it back and you hold on to it and, and somehow in your mind you're, you're thinking you're hurting the other person who hurt you, what you're really doing is you're setting yourself on fire hoping that the smoke bothers that person. It doesn't work. God wants to set you free. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring peace. He wants to bring forgiveness. He wants to bring love. He wants to restore you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity as the band comes out and sings. I'm going to give you, you do not have to stand. Matter of fact, I don't want anybody standing when you come out, when they come out to worship. And as they come out to worship, I'm going to ask if you would like to, if you'd like to come down here and come up front, I would love to pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll agree with you. At the end of the service, there will have people on either side who will be here to pray for you. There's a chapel right over there. You can go into that chapel and you can pray to God. You can pray right in your seat. You can get a friend today, but deal with it. Listen, you do not have to live with this anymore. He didn't come to throw you away. He came to bring help, hope, and healing. But sometimes, my friend, you got to get up and make it real. And if you'd like to come, I'll be right here to pray with you. But let's worship the Lord together.